Hey everybody, it's Nonprofit Conversations, the podcast of Rogue Tulips Consulting. I'm your host, Cecilia Sup. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll be talking with Kathy Lotta about B to B to C. Welcome to episode 176. Hey everybody, it's Monday, December 12th. That means it's time for another episode of Nonprofit Conversations brought to you by Rogue Tulips Consulting. To our global audience, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be, and thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Cecilia Sepp. I'm the principal and founder of Rogue Tulips Consulting, and I'm a certified association executive. This week, we're pleased to have a returning guest, Kathy Lada, who's an association marketing expert. Kathy's going to talk with us today about B2B to C, and if you want to know what that is, hang on for a minute. But first, Kathy's going to say hello and tell us a little about herself. So, Kathy, welcome back. Thanks, Cecilia. Um, as Cecilia said, I'm Kathy Lada. I'm an association marketing executive, and I have over 20 years of experience in marketing um, in nonprofits and also a doctoral degree in information systems and communications. So I've also taught um, marketing, advertising, public relations, or cultural communications, you name it. So I kind of have a dual interest in marketing with the practical side and the academic side. That's amazing. Wow. Anybody who has a doctorate, I'm so impressed with uh, because (laughs) going on to that level of graduate work is impressive. And I know how much time and energy it takes. So uh, congratulations on that. And, And thank you for coming back to share your knowledge and experience with us. So as I mentioned at the top of the episode, we're talking about B to B to C, but that's actually like three things combined. So can you break B to B to C down for us? Yeah, absolutely. So everyone is pretty familiar with B2B and then B2C. So B2B is business to business marketing. So you've got companies like um, Dell um, selling computers to to school systems and things like that. Um, You've got Amazon or I'm sorry, Staples um, selling, you know, office supplies to businesses and things. So B2B is pretty simple. B2C is also pretty simple. We're all used to going to our favorite retailer and purchasing things from Target or Kohl's or wherever it is that you do your shopping. B2B2C is a little bit different. And I'm going to actually give you the for-profit world's definition of B2B2C and then propose a new definition from the nonprofit side um, that I kind of came up with after um, some soul searching about how to reach um, our members' customers. Um, So uh, B2B2C in the for-profit world allows you to kind of tap into the expertise and the, the personal connections that a business has with its own consumers. Um, so rather than market directly to consumers, if you have a company, you want to market um, through that business um, to consumers. So in the for-profit world, everyone's familiar with Amazon, eBay, um, the App Store itself, Google Play, Uber Eats, OpenTable, Instacart, um, all those kind of things. And basically, it lets both businesses, the, the original business and the intermediary business, to get higher revenue, um, see more efficiencies, um, grow more um, and reach those customers um, without necessarily having the expertise that needed to deliver a service or product um, in, in a specific way. 
Um, and it's different. Some people say, well, isn't that kind of like white labeling products or things where the consumer thinks they're buying from a company that they're transacting with, but they're actually buying from someone else. So sort of like Harris Teeter or Safeway offering, you know, Harris Teeter or Safeway branded uh, green beans. And no, it's, it's not white labeling. And it's also not a channel partnership. So that's where you would partner with a, a producer or manufacturer to sell your products. Um, so um, airlines do this through Expedia or Kayak, for instance. So it's not a channel partnership, it's not white labeling. It's really truly um, partnering with essentially a middleman to reach a consumer audience. Um, does that make sense? Uh, yes, <laughs> actually, uh, you, you actually put quite a okay. lot of content in those few minutes. Because uh, you know, I heard several different things like white labeling and things like that. So uh, no, that that's really interesting because I think uh, when you and I were talking about the content for this episode and and like what what could we communicate about B two B to C, it came to me that this totally makes sense because if what an association is doing, whether it's a professional society or a trade association, is trying to represent that profession or that industry to its members or for its members or to the general public, it totally makes sense that you would use this concept of B, the initial B being the association, to B being the company or professional member, and then to the C, which would be those people they're trying to reach. And I think we do that a lot in the association space. We try to create marketing materials for our members, or we have codes of ethics for our members. We have industry standards. There's a lot of different things we do for our members to help them reach their customers. So, uh, and you did really well outline how this is a for-profit approach, really. But I think if it's relationships that totally applies to the association world uh, at all levels. So do you have any examples of how B2B2C might work in an association environment? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, and it's, you made some really good points there, Cecilia. It's not about an association selling to the customer. Um, it's about advocating on behalf of the member. We are membership organizations, right? It's nonprofit. So it's, it's really about the member, but it also can solve association challenges at the same time as well. It can actually do both. And I'll give you two examples. Um, one is an industry branding campaign um, that I ran when I was um, in the early 2000s. Um, I was at a, an association um, for chambers of commerce and we part partnered with an advertising firm to do some research because our members were coming to us. Again, this is a member-driven problem. It wasn't something we were imposing on them. They came to us and said, look, we're having a lot of trouble lobbying and getting people to understand what a chamber of commerce is. They think we're part of the government or they think we're only big business when in fact, actually the research shows that most chambers of commerce are built of small businesses, not big businesses. And so there are all these misperceptions floating around and it was hurting really the bottom line as well as the advocacy agenda for Chambers of Commerce. So we did some research with this PR firm and um, tried to come up with messaging that the Chambers could use themselves to brand themselves. And so um, we were just basically trying to help them differentiate themselves in the market, like you said earlier, um, from other Chambers and civic associations, even local government, the media, and businesses. So at the end of that, we had some really good research. The PR firm actually came up with the tagline um, for the um, campaign for the chambers to use if they chose to, um, which we weren't necessarily advocating. We really wanted the research and the messaging. They came up with 20 key messages 
that chambers could potentially pick from to say, this is what we do. Um, and it was up to the chamber to then customize that. So for example, uh, well, before I get into the example, um, and so the reason why I decided on a B to B to C route um, for this campaign and the materials was we only had about a $200,000 budget, which had to, which had to cover all the research that was done and, and any media buy that we might want to do or anything like that. And as you know, especially with TV, when you're trying to reach businesses or the public or the media or government, TV is probably your best bet and it's expensive. And we weren't going to be doing a capital campaign to pay for TV advertising. That wasn't a great use of our nonprofit dollars and brand um, to do. So I had to think creatively, well, how do we get this message out? And so the B2B2C approach was kind of born. So basically, um, we created customizable campaigns, um, messaging, advertising, and public relations toolkits, plus training, um, how to craft a value proposition and execute it. Um, like a lot of industries, most Chamber of Commerce executives have no formal marketing or branding training. Um, so we had to help them translate what they did and customize those key messages that I talked about. Um, so for instance, um, <clears throat> a lot of Chambers lobby, um, local, local and state government for the most part. Um, and so they need to go in front of the local government and say, hey, you know, let's look at this sign ordinance or let's look at this landscape ordinance and how it's affecting business. And so, um, you know, that, that they have those kind of services. So in order to customize the value proposition messaging, we help them understand when you talk to a large business, you might want to say something like, hey, you can help shape the chamber's legislative agenda. We can join forces with your lobbyists, et cetera, versus a smaller business, which is, hey, we look out for the business issues that matter most um, to your sales and making payroll every other week. Um, and so um, I actually created a whole training um, scenario around that I created a one day, a three, three hour, an eight hour and a two day training uh, program around that and actually delivered that for six months all around the country. Um, and we had success. Oh my gosh, hundreds of chambers of commerce used the materials. It was incredible and went through training. I trained myself about 400 chamber executives um, over the course of about six months. Um, I was invited to state chamber executive associations to give the keynote and then do training workshops and all that good stuff. And a lot of chambers adopted that tagline, leading businesses, leading communities, even though that really wasn't our goal. It was to get the messaging toolkits and the public relations toolkits out there. Um, but really giving them plug and play kind of materials that they could use um, to, uh, to get the message out there. So uh, the toolkits had uh, pre-written messaging that they could customize for various channels, um, print and digital ad templates, that were already designed, you know, the font was pre-embedded. So all they had to do was drop in their local chamber name and their uh, logo. Uh, we pre-recorded 20 second uh, radio spots that people could then add a local tag on brought to you by the, you know, Wichita Falls Chamber of Commerce and Wichita Falls, Kansas or whatever. Um, and, and then I just kind of went crazy. <laughs> so I'm a systems thinker. So I'm thinking, how do we really help people use this thing, right? So in an association, non-dues revenue is key. So we were selling the toolkits. Um, we gave away the research and the materials for free, but we were selling the toolkits, these pre-made ads and things like that. And then also my speaking uh, honoraria uh, went to the Chambers Foundation. Um, so that was um, $1,000 for you know a half day of, of training. Um, so very reasonable. Um, but that went directly to the foundation. Uh, but then we created um, a whole stream for our, our communication and marketing awards program for Chambers of Commerce. So that was additional entries for that. And then we created 
uh, webinars, some things that were sponsored. Uh, we created a whole newsletter. And then my uh, special interest community of practice kind of got a hold of it. And we had this whole, it kind of blossomed in this whole storytelling movement about telling the chamber story. And I actually wrote a cover story for our magazine about telling the chamber story. And um, it, it really sparked the whole movement. So a very uh, uh, challenging goal, certainly, to help our members reach the public, especially businesses, local government and media, which we did, and allowed them, give them the tools and the information they needed to do that. So by doing that, the Chamber Image campaign wasn't a $200,000 media buy on Discovery or something like that to say, this is what a Chamber of Commerce is and does, blah, boring, right? right. Um, <laughs> each Chamber spoke in its own voice, its own uh, message with its own products to their specific audience and, and could customize it. So it was so much fun to work on. Um, I never in my life imagined <laughs> I'd be working on such a project, but it was very, very cool. Well, and how interesting is that, though, that you took a B2B to C and use it in the chamber environment? Because chambers of commerce are, little, you know, they're, they're nonprofits, they're business leagues, but they're, you know, a little bit different, I think, from a lot of membership groups. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, in full disclosure to the audience, I used to work at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce when I first got to Washington many moons ago. So I am familiar with the Chamber of Commerce system. Uh, I, I, and to your point about gee, that would be kind of a boring TV commercial. It, it, you know, I agree. Not that I'm against Chambers of Commerce. I think right. they're wonderful. We have a really active one here in Silver Spring, Maryland, by the way. But uh, yeah, I, I loved the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. I thought it was one of those interesting jobs I ever had, uh, especially as a young person just starting out in the world. Uh, but yeah, I don't think most people would be like excited about it. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, just, having that and the way you monetize the the tools in order to support the ongoing program right. is brilliant i i don't think we think about that enough in the nonprofit world uh about it's okay to place a monetary value on what we're doing otherwise we can't keep doing it because exactly. like right no margin no mission so that that was like a really uh deep layered example of B2B to C, but you said you had a second one. So what's, what's the second example? I do. So much more recently, um, uh, within the past couple of years, in fact, I'm in another association. Um, this is another C6 organization, um, mm -hmm. but it accredited businesses to industry standards that it published. As you mentioned earlier, you know, this kind of B2B to C approach really is a good thing for um, accrediting organizations um, that publish standards to look at. Um, and when I was there, um, we had the same challenge. Um, we had members who were having trouble differentiating themselves from other businesses like them in their markets. Um, and so they were asking us like, how, how can we do that? And then we as an organization also needed to overcome a lot of misperceptions about the accreditation process and its value because it was very lengthy. It took from two to six months to get your accreditation. Um, and the sales cycle, even before that, to get someone interested in an accreditation was long. And there are always misperceptions about, you know, there's 900 standards that you need to approve and it's only for the big businesses and, you know, just all these crazy things. And so even though we had a great program and people were like over the moon excited about this accreditation and what it did for them, um, we had real business results that we could show our membership growth stagnated at like anywhere from 11 to 15% of what we estimated the total market to be. So, and we knew that part of the challenge was that all these businesses had this misperception, several misperceptions about what accreditation was. 
Um, and then, um, and as I said, the members themselves had challenges differentiating themselves, even the ones that were accredited. They said, yeah, we're accredited, but the consumer had no clue what that meant. And so this association for a good four to five year period did some baseline research, hired a firm to do some qualitative and quantitative research um, to see what consumer perceptions of these businesses were and got a baseline. And then um, spent over about a five year period around $3 million doing B2C for direct business to consumer, trying to get the customers of these businesses to pay attention. Um, and I will tell you sadly that after two to $3 million spent, um, none of that moved the needle at all. We did a longitudinal oh, survey. We repeated the survey <laughs> four years later, nothing, or two years later, sorry, two years later and nothing. Um, and so it was very disheartening to say the least. Um, when you have to go to before your board and say, you know, that $3 million investment did nothing, um, that kind of is a wake up call. So, uh, you know, all the best intentions and there was no way to predict you know, that that could have happened, you know, things happen. So when I came on board, um, I knew, I learned that history and um, decided to try my B2B to C approach again, since it worked really well um, in, the, in the early 2000s and to solve those two problems with one solution. So I created a campaign around the issues. Um, so first we created a member accreditation toolkit. And as you kind of mentioned earlier, you know, like with the ready-made social posts and press releases, website copy, newsletter copy, and just more copy like that um, and tied to all the great things and that they weren't just all fluffy um, posts either. They were very substantive posts, um, very educational um, as well as sort of fun and celebratory of the industry. Um, and so um, just, you know, a plug and play model and put that in a password protected area on our website. And then every quarter we would update it with um, various things. I actually um, added also consumer facing pages to the website that explained the value of accreditation to the consumer rather than only just saying on a membership page, for instance, um, the value of accreditation to the business that was potentially seeking accreditation. So I added a bunch of consumer facing pages about what accreditation meant. Um, and then we were, I was actually, before I left there, we were working on expanding the consumer benefit angle to other um, association benefits as well. So like our education programs and certifications that we had. Um, we also later um, partnered with Credly, who a lot of your audience might be familiar with. They're very um, popular in the association community. ASAE uses them. It's a digital badging solution. And same thing there, I created a whole consumer stream of information about what accreditation meant, as well as a whole um, business value proposition about what accreditation meant. Um, and unfortunately, I left that association just as we were beginning to implement my B2B to C approach. So I don't have quantifiable results other than a, a huge number of increased downloads. I don't have the percentage right in front of me um, of downloads of the toolkit materials and the knowledge that we were addressing and articulated member desire for that type of assistance in their marketing to their customers. And as I mentioned, the cost, it was also very cost effective um, because we weren't um, trying to purchase TV and radio airtime um, to directly reach the consumers, um, none of which moved the needle. Um, I really believe, I firmly believe that over time that approach, like my B2B2C approach in the chamber industry will yield real results for consumer preference for accredited businesses in this particular industry and help the association grow its membership. Well, and those are excellent examples too, because you had one that was a really huge success and then shared an example of something that didn't work and how B2B2C could turn that around. Mm -hmm. And you First of all, there are a couple of comments I wanted to make. First of all, I think as uh, nonprofit professionals, 
We should, in our own life, make a point of working with accredited organizations, whatever we're doing. Uh, you know, for example, I picked my animal hospital because they were accredited. Mm -hmm. And I saw that and I talked to them about it. And I said, are you accredited because you do surgery here? And they said, yes, we are. And, th and that's why we did it. And I said, okay, it, that, that means something to me because I know what that means. Right. And I think when you're working with a professional who's got a certification, that makes a huge difference because it demonstrates they at least went through the process to earn that certification. And mm -hmm. then you can judge their performance, the outcomes, the output they give you uh, accordingly. So I think as, as nonprofit professionals, we need to tell people about that. I was reading about relational marketing mm -hmm. uh, last week, and that's where you, you know, I, I heard that in some political campaigns, they were paying people to just talk to their friends and neighbors and say, vote for this candidate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why not? But we, we could do that as well. That could be part of your B2B to see, I think. Absolutely. There could be an influencer kind of campaign aspect um, to it, um, certainly where we have people talk to the consumer um, based on that. We kind of had something similar with, uh, with a, a specific um, association celebration day to celebrate accreditation. Um, okay. And every year um, the association would... Um, you know, put that out there and the member, the businesses that were accredited would take part and they would have big customer events um, and things like that and talk to their customers about um, their accreditation at their events. They'd have like clowns and face painting and, you know, cookies and muffins and just all this kind of fun, you know, stuff, balloons um, to celebrate their accreditation and, and to talk to their things. And we, we didn't paint them. Certainly that was a completely voluntary effort, but we definitely put the effort in to make this particular day each year, um, the, the accreditation day um, celebration. I love that accreditation day celebration. We should do that for CAEs. Uh, yeah, for I'm, sure. I'm not dinging anybody, but I <laughs> at all here, but I don't think that CAEs got enough recognition this year. And I know it's a holdover from the, the lockdown and mm -hmm. things like that, but I really think, you know, going forward, that is easily corrected. But I think, you know, a CAE celebration day is really a wonderful idea. You know, okay. somebody should do that. Uh, I think it's a great idea. It just doesn't celebrate the new people, but the people who continue to maintain the certification. Exactly. It's everybody. And I yeah. encourage all of the listeners of your podcast to think creatively about how to solve your challenges along with your members' problems with the B2B2C thinking, because you can apply it in so many different ways. You know, I think I've just barely scratched the surface, but it was interesting. I, I had been trying, struggling with what to call this approach, you know, and I was saying, well, we want to reach our members' customers. And that just sounded so clunky like and and i was reading about the b2b to c approach uh, mostly in e-commerce that the for-profit world you know the employees and so i was like oh my gosh that's totally what nonprofits do but not selling but advocating on behalf of our members and things you know like that so hopefully this b2b to c thing makes sense and and i'm curious to see if any of your listeners come up with other ideas i'd love to learn from other people's experiences because i'm sure others are doing similar things and just maybe not calling it b2b to c um like i said that's a relatively new thing for me so i'm i'm curious to see what kind of response um we get oh that's you know and that is actually a great segue into wrapping up the episode uh th this is a fascinating topic and i'm sure we could talk about it for another hour or two <laughs> but uh we have to save something for next time, right? So, right. And, and you know, Kathy, you've been on the podcast before. 
I always like to ask my guest, what's the one thought you would like the audience to take away today? And if they wanted to learn more or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, um, I think the, the one thought is is what I um, had just articulated because that was what was running through my head, honestly, was um, how can other associations kind of take a similar approach and how might, how might other associations adopt this kind of thinking to solve both association problems and their members' um, challenges at the same time and be very efficient. Um, and the easiest way to find me is probably just my website, um, kathylatta.com. Um, and uh, all my contact information is there. And, and uh, yeah. Great. Well, well, thank you so much, Kathy. Thanks for coming and sharing your expertise and your experiences. Those are some really great real world examples. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Cecilia. Oh, you are more than welcome. Glad to have you back. Uh, but as I said, we have to go rogue for now. Thanks everybody for joining us. We'll be back next week with our last episode of the year featuring Cheryl Ronk, CAE, CMP, FASAE, all around good person and leader within our community. So don't miss my conversation with Cheryl on your uh, desired preferred futures and how to get there. So that'll be a great conversation to close 2022 on. So if you would like to learn more about Rogue Tulips Consulting, you can check out our website, roguetulips.com. If you are a current CAE or a CAE candidate seeking education uh, to expand your knowledge or to earn CAE credits for your application or renewal, check out our education program, the 501C League. It has its own website, the501cleague.net. On behalf of myself and Kathy, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.